0: Well, friends, Christmas is coming! Yeah, it is the season. Maybe you've already got your Christmas tree up. Maybe you've been wandering around Oxford Circus, admiring the lights already. Maybe you've got started on the mince pies and the Moles wine. Or perhaps the reason that you know that Christmas is coming is because you have that slightly overwhelming feeling that, about everything that you have on your plate. For the next three weeks. The work deadlines, the Christmas parties, trying to find a present for your dad. Dads are the hardest people to buy for. I feel very sorry for my dad. He has received many a pair of socks over the years. Or perhaps you're dreading the Christmas season. Maybe the cheesy Christmas festive feelings just don't do the trick it all just feels too shiny because when you come back to reality here you are wondering who you're going to spend christmas day with or perhaps you just know that there's no amount of christmas pudding that will solve the way that your relationships broke down this year the friendships that you lost no amount of christmas pudding will take away the anxiety of the rent that you know you need to pay in january and nothing will get you through the season when you know that you're missing a loved one who you've lost this year. We all know that feeling, don't we? There's so much Christmas cheer bubbling up around us, but it can feel so removed from the harsh realities of our real lives. And that's only the reality of your life and my life. For some of you, what feels so uncomfortable is the fact that you're about to spend your time over Christmas in London, celebrating in true lavish London style, shopping, having great food, buying good presents. But knowing that across the city and across the world, things are not right. War rages on, people are starving. There are girls who can't go to school because their education has been banned. And I wanna encourage you, if you feel dissatisfied with that shiny version of Christmas that you've been given. Please stay dissatisfied with that because it's not real. But there is another Christmas story that is real. And today I want to speak to you about how there is hope for your ordinary, real life. There is hope for the ordinary. And we're gonna turn to scripture to read a story that we've probably all heard before. So this is Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I want to tell you today why this story means that there is hope for your ordinary, real life. And then I want to give us three ways that we can respond off the back of how Mary responds to the angel in our passage. I didn't grow up going to church. I wouldn't have called myself a Christian. And when I first started exploring Christianity, I was at university, and I was fascinated by the claims of who Jesus said he was. The central claim of Christianity is that the God who is the creator of the universe came into the world because he loves you and me so much that he decided to save us all and enable us to live in freedom with him forever. Now that is a radical claim in and of itself. But then when I read the passage that we read today, I realised that it's far more radical than that. God could have showed up however he liked. He could have come in a plane, just landed on the earth. He could have come like a genie in a bottle, just showed up one day. He could have arrived as a Roman emperor, king of England, president of the United States. God could have come however he wanted. But he chooses to arrive through a very ordinary means, through a pregnant woman. And he chooses to become a newborn baby. A baby who, just like all the other babies that have ever been born, was weak and vulnerable. A baby who couldn't hold his head up on his own. A baby who probably had a bit of gunk in his eyes, had some rashes on his body and his face. A baby who probably kept his parents awake in the middle of the night. Maybe it feels to you like it's blasphemy a little bit to talk about God in that way. But that's what God chose to become. He chose to become like us. When God enters the world, he doesn't shy away from any of the reality of our ordinary, real lives. He chose to enter the world through ordinary means and through an ordinary person. I wonder what you think of When you think of Mary, I bet you think of a woman who looks a little bit like Snow White, dressed only in blue. She can't, that's only, that's like the only clothes she had. Definitely only blue. She's probably not saying very much. She's very peaceful and calm and serene. I think we often fall into the trap of thinking that Mary is some kind of figure of unattainable purity that the rest of us would never ever get to be like. Maybe you hear that statement from the angel, greetings, you who are highly favoured. And you think, gosh, what would it take to be named by God as highly favoured? Like how holy and perfect do you have to be? But I think that's exactly the point. Mary was an ordinary teenage girl but God chose her for an extraordinary task. In her conversation with the angel, Mary is repeatedly told that her ordinariness is about to be blown out of the water by God's kindness. That God is with her, and she's favoured not because of how perfect she is, but because of how loved she is. God chose to enter the world through an ordinary teenage girl, in an occupied land, in a town that's pretty much the back end of nowhere. Her personal situation is not stable. She's engaged, but not married to a man. And that means she has no financial security. And she's in a culture where being an unmarried pregnant woman would threaten to leave her completely ostracized, set to live the rest of her life in poverty. So God chose to enter the world through an ordinary means and through an ordinary person. Why did he do that? We all know that human life is messy, don't we? Sometimes broken even. I think we can see it when we look around the world, when we can look across our city. And I know, if I'm honest, I can also see it when I look in my own heart. I can see the mess and the brokenness, the unkindness. The Bible describes it in this way, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And The message of Christmas is that God became a baby, entered the mess and brokenness of our world, and eventually that he was persecuted and killed. Why did he do that? Well, Tim Keller puts it like this. The gift of God at Christmas tells us that we're actually so bad off that our spiritual condition is so bleak That nothing less than the sacrifice of God Himself could save us. He entered into our ordinary life to offer salvation to you and to me. This is the kind of God we have. And this same God has chosen you in all your ordinariness in your real life. This same God says to you today Greetings, you who are highly favoured, not because you're perfect but because you're loved. So how shall we respond to this? Well, there's three ways that Mary responds, and this is the first. Will you give God your yes? At the end of the conversation with the angel, we read Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. It must have been pretty hard for her to understand what it would look like. She had no idea what she was saying yes to or the way that the trajectory of her life was about to change. So we haven't found out the gender of our baby yet. We're gonna find out on the day. But let me be honest, over the past few months, every Sunday when I come to Brompton Road, the ladies of Brompton Road I can see you ladies sizing me up. Like having a good old look. And, and you know, it's a little bit of, um, that's quite a high bump, must be a boy. Or like, can, I, can you just do a little 360? That bump's quite pointy, must be a boy. And then I get, um, what kind of cravings have you been having? And I say, oh, sweet things. And they say, oh, well, sugar and spice and everything nice. That's what little girls are made of. (laughs) So honestly, I have no idea who's in there. The question that has been going around my head, though, the most when I think about this baby is, who is this baby going to be? What are they going to look like? What are they going to be like? And probably most of all, me and my husband have been wondering, how is our life about to change. The truth is, we're very excited to meet our baby, but we have no idea what we're letting ourselves in for. And I think that's a little bit what it's like with the Christian faith. It's a bit like when you choose to say yes to God, you're saying, I don't know the details of what this life will look like, but I trust you, God, and so I'm going to say yes. And it can feel scary and risky, but it's an adventure that is worth giving your life to. So I wonder, what would it look like for you today to say yes to God? So that's the first way that Mary responds. She says yes to God. And then secondly, will you bring God your questions? I wonder if there's someone that's sitting here And perhaps you're thinking, Annie, has no one told you that the Nativity story is not real? Well, I love how Mary's response in the passage is just as honest. It says, Mary was greatly troubled. The word in Greek is terasso, which is the word that we get distressed from. So she was very distressed when this angel came. And sometimes it's easy to think that 2,000 years ago, people were more naive than we are today. But that's not true. Mary was just as bamboozled as you or I would be if an angel showed up. But it gets weirder for her because the angel then says to her that she's going to have a baby. And she says, that's biologically impossible. How? She thinks it's just as impossible as you or I think it is. And you might say, well, isn't it more likely that Mary lied? And of course, that's possible. But I think if I was a woman in this society where I knew that I was pregnant and I wasn't married and that was going to threaten to leave me totally outcast, and I was thinking, okay, what can I say? What lie can I make up? I wouldn't go for this one. (laughs) Like, wouldn't you go for something a little bit less out there? Imagine making that up. So an angel appeared to me and said that I was going to have a baby and the baby was going to be the son of God. I just don't think you'd go for it. But there's something else that happens in the story that convinces me that we should believe Mary's testimony. Listen again to what the angel says to her. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month so, whilst we could have every reason to believe that a young woman like Mary could have got pregnant by normal means, her cousin Elizabeth was old. She'd been through the menopause. Everyone knew it was impossible for her to have a baby. The two women are in very different circumstances, but an angel appears to both their families to offer them a remarkable gift. So, you might say, well, Mary could have lied. But Elizabeth couldn't have lied. That is not a story she could have made up. Mary didn't choose this story because it was believable. She didn't choose this story because she didn't understand how babies were made. This is her story because it happened to her. And we see her honesty before God about her questions and her doubts And we see her trying to figure out what this will mean for her life. And if you're here today and you have questions and doubts and you wonder what all this might mean for your life, I would love to encourage you. In January, we'll be running Alpha again, which is an opportunity to come and explore the questions of the Christian faith in a safe space, in a judgment-free zone, where you can ask your questions and share your doubts. Will you respond to God with that same honesty that Mary had? And finally, will you look for God in unexpected places? In the 20th century, there was a German Christian called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And in 1933, so just think, the Nazi regime is just starting to rise to power. Bonhoeffer was visiting London, and it was Christmas time. And he was invited to preach in a church on this same passage that we've been reading today. This is what he had to say. This is the miracle of all miracles, that God loves the lowly. God is not ashamed of human lowliness, but goes right into the middle of it, chooses someone as an instrument, and performs the miracles right there where they are least expected. God draws near to the lowly, loving the lost, the unnoticed, the unremarkable, the excluded, the powerless, and the broken. What people say is lost, God says is found. What people say is condemned, God says is saved. Where people say no, God says yes. Where people turn their eyes away in indifference, or arrogance. God gazes with a love that glows warmer there than anywhere else. Where people say something is despicable, God calls it blessed. And for Bonhoeffer, this conviction led to him spending the next 12 years in resistance against the Nazi regime. He was totally convinced that the Christmas story meant that our God is a God of the marginalised, that our God is a God of the vulnerable and the outcast. He was totally convinced that God came to turn the tables on the power structures of our society. And he fought with such fight that he was eventually executed at the direct orders of Hitler. So when you look around London this Christmas, I wonder what would it look like for you to seek God in the unexpected places, to look for God amongst the marginalized and the vulnerable and the ordinary? What would it look like to let the ordinary people of this city know that they too are loved beyond measure? Because I suspect that when we look for God in London this Christmas, we'll find him in those love Christmas bags that are going to men and women in prisons across the city. Perhaps you'll find him when you knock on a neighbour's door who you know is lonely and you pop round a box of chocolates. Perhaps some of us will find him when we invite a family member to get involved in our Christmas celebrations who can just be a little bit tricky. Or perhaps you'll find him when you come along to Onslow Square on Christmas Day to get involved in the Christmas Day lunch with 500 people who will come along to celebrate Christmas with others rather than on their own. What would it look like for you to seek God in the most marginalised and unexpected places of our city this Christmas? I suspect that as we do these things, as we look for God in unexpected places, this city will get a glimpse of God's eternal kingdom. Because did you hear what the angel had to say to Mary? That this baby, his kingdom will never end. And it's a kingdom for you and for me in all the ordinariness of our lives. It's a kingdom for the most marginalized and the most vulnerable. It's a kingdom for those of us who have questions and doubts. Shall we say yes to him today? In Jesus' name, amen.